0: Welcome, everybody, to David Burkis Presents, the world's worst title or least creative title for a podcast episode. Uh, but in this episode, David Burkis presents my good friend Todd Henry. Todd is the author of a bunch of different books. He's He is the, um, ironically, I always thought of him as the artist of creativity to my nerd of creativity, but as we'll talk about in this episode, he's getting pretty nerdy as well. He's the author of a ton of different books. My favorites are actually Herding Tigers and this new one, The Motivation Code, um, which is actually saying something because Todd, this is like, I think a lot of people are probably gonna put this book into the personality test category, but it's not a personality test. Um, What happened, right? You're the Die Empty guy, you're the Hurting Tigers guy, and now we're talking about motivational assessments? What's going on here?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, let me address that when you did the intro, you said, David Burkus Ber- presents the worst, and I was waiting to see what comes after that, that <laughs> phrase. So I was like, wait a minute, what did you invite me to? Okay, anyway. No, um, I'm
0: just terrible. I couldn't figure out a name for what <laughs> to call the show as I started it on YouTube. Yeah, Um, It was just videos of me. I called it one more time because in the beginning I kept saying, hey, one more time, we need to talk about this. Then my wife told me that was too arrogant. So I called it. Um, I called it "Keep Fighting" because "Pick a Fight" came out, but then we stopped yeah. talking about "Keep Fighting," and I was like, "I don't even know what to call." So finally, <laughs> I settled on "David Burgess Presents" because love it. every episode is me presenting either a friend of mine with an idea or an idea myself. So there I think that's
1: great, and it's very classic. It's like masterpiece theater, right? Like it feels right. like very yes, it's good. All right, so to your question um there're going to be a lot of these rabbit trails just you know Dude, this is, this like is nice if talking. you are if you're either a fan of my work or Todd's work you're you're expecting that anyway so let's <laughs> um so it's it's a funny story um i had no intention of writing this book at all uh, as a matter of fact in 2016 i was approached by a friend of mine Rod Penner who was a 20 year veteran of a management consulting firm a uh, very successful guy and I knew he had left that firm like years before, but I didn't know exactly what he was up to. And he said, hey, I want you to take this motivation assessment I've been working on. And I'm like you, like me, I'm sure like your eyes roll to the back of your head whenever you hear the word assessment. It's like, great, we need another one of those. Um, so I, I, But I trusted Rod and he'd been working with a whole team of PhDs and others um, on this motivation work. And so... Um, I, I took the assessment and I was blown away, frankly. I was, you know, really uh stunned by what I discovered because it really described for me many of the underlying dynamics of Decisions I'd made, leadership failures I'd had, leadership successes I'd had, why it's easy for me to get engaged with some work, but difficult to get engaged in other work. Um, Just really answered a lot of things and unlocked a lot of possibilities for me. The problem was in 2016, I had just signed a book contract for Herding Tigers. So I was in the middle of working on Herding Tigers at the time, but they wanted me to kind of work on maybe work on a book related to some of this research that had been going on for decades. Kind of in the background, so I was working on this book in the background for several years. Herding Tigers came out in 2018, and then it was just kind of like the opportune time to really um, kind of take take uh, sort of dive full steam into this project. And so, the Motivation Code uh, just released last fall. Um, Interesting timing, but just released last fall, and um, it really. once I became involved with this research, I really once I began to understand the scope of it, I realized that this is the result of decades of research, been going on for for many many years, started in the late 1960s. Um, dozens of people, researchers, consultants, others have been working on this for a very long time, and. The assessment itself is a result of about a decade of work of a whole team of PhDs who had kind of pulled together a way to take some of those decades of research and distill them into something that's actually practical and useful to people. Um, and so I was I was kind of coming in at it, like the absolute like 11th hour on this project to write the book about all this work that people have been doing for years and years and years. So I feel really privileged to be able to be a part of the project.
0: Yeah, and I should say I was familiar with some of Todd Hall's research work. We've yeah. actually collaborated on a couple of things back when I um, still did, or at least pretended to do, um, academic research. So I've been used to a lot of that. That's why I joked actually that like we we both our, our debut books were both around creativity and innovation and what that means in, in organizations. But I was the nerdy science guy, and you were like the artist guy, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and we would steal gigs from each other, depending on what clients would want. <laughs> and uh, and now I feel like you're encroaching. No, I'm totally kidding. Um, but what I love about it, knowing that stuff, if, if you're familiar with my work, if you're a longtime listener to the show, which I don't know how that's possible because we've only been around for a year, so you can't be a longtime listener, but you know that I'm not the biggest fan of personality tests, of assessment tests, of things that put you into categories, et cetera. And so I was anticipating, before I really read up on Todd's work, I knew I trusted Todd Hall. I I mean, I know I trusted you too. Um, But before I ran into it, I was kind of anticipating that, and I'll be honest, I sort of rolled my eyes and groaned, right, because all of them actually, ironically, rest on an assumption that it's actually, it's about things intrinsic to the self that either they can prove or can't prove. It's about, uh, again, categorizations and labels when personality is actually sort of a spectrum. Um, and what I liked about the motivation code and the research behind it is that it's, it's I at least read it as sort of the interplay between maybe some things that are internal, but also the work we're asking people to do, which is different. I was always a fan of you know, Marcus Buckingham, who worked with the strengths movement for a long time. I'm sorry, with Gallup and that sort of evidence-based strengths movement for a long time and Then sort of shot on his own. He always had this great saying that like strengths aren't things you're good at. Strengths are things that make you feel strong. But he never had any data for that. It was just a catchy, (laughs) catchy saying. And I feel like to some extent, the motivation code is that because it's that interplay, right? And I mean, I might be grossly just doing a terrible job summarizing the underlying idea, um, behind these, no, you're,
1: all that, but. you're absolutely capturing it perfectly, um, and and I'm so glad that you noticed that because this is a very different way of talking about motivation. You know, we tend to talk about motivation in terms of big, broad categories. I mean, many people are familiar with self-determination theory. You know, from the work of Deci and Ryan that began decades ago, and Dan Pink wrote about it in Drive, and I think he called it Motivation 3.0, which was you know really people. Uh, intrinsic motivation is the thing that really keeps people going like extrinsic motivators are are fine but the intrinsic motivation is really the thing that keeps people going um this idea of autonomy mastery and relatedness or i think dan pink used the word purpose right yeah i never um,
0: actually asked him why he
1: switched from relatedness to purpose but yeah, yeah I, I don't know i'm not sure um but but i think it all sort of encapsulates the same idea um, but really what, if you look at the motivate, the research into motivation, even the work of Deci and Ryan themselves, they say like, these are not completely discrete categories, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. It's not like, oh, well, there are some things that are intrinsic motivators and some things that are extrinsic motivators. The reality is intrinsic and extrinsic motivation modify one another. So my experience of an extrinsic motivator is going to be very different than your experience, depending on what my intrinsic motivators are. And so what motivation code does in a very unique way is it specifically describes the way that I might respond to a specific stimulus, a specific extrinsic motivator and in, in many ways, kind of captures what my experience of that motivator might be. So for example, you and I might be up for a pay raise. Um, and you know, pay raises are good and they motivate people, but very few people are just motivated by money. Once they have a certain amount of money, it's not like that money, the money necessarily is the thing. So if, for example, if your one of your core motivation code drivers is Excel, then you might be the thing that might really drive you about that promotion or that pay raise might be the fact that you have proven that you have excelled above everybody around you. And really it's the meaning you ascribe to that, that really is the motivator for you. Um, that's causing you to go for that. For me, it might like if my, if my motivator is collaborate, for example, that's one of my core motivations. It's, it's actually not, but let's say it is, um, the what really, excites me about that raise or that promotion could be, I get to be a part of a really high functioning team that I've been coveting being part of for a long time. And so that's the thing that really is meaningful to me. So what's different about the motivation code assessment is we begin with your stories uh, of achievement. And then we ask you to talk about why those achievements were meaningful to you. Um, And over the course of like I said, decades, we've uh, accumulated over a million achievement stories. And over the course of decades, parsed those achievement stories and why the people describe those achievements as meaningful into a specific set of language that's kind of common language. And that breaks out into 27 themes. So we're able to ask you questions very specifically using language that people typically describe when they describe those specific motivators to help you identify the order of what what drives you or what motivates you. Um, so it's, pr- it's pretty exciting. So what you picked up on, I think, is that this is really a story-driven psychometric assessment. We don't begin with assumptions or categories and say, okay, let's force you into one of these. Instead, we allow you to kind of talk about what was meaningful to you. And then we ask you questions based upon what we've seen people say in the past to see which of those motivators are likely to be the ones that are that are driving your core behavior. Yeah, well, to to be fair,
0: the other test didn't really operate that way. Where they operated in the way of I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, and then I'm going to give you a description that reads like a fortune cookie, and you're just going to assume that it applies to you because I wrote it so well, right? right but you know, right. I, I digress. So you sort um you you sort them into pop quiz. You got twenty. No, I'm kidding. You you sort them into uh, six or so sort of families of stories, which I, which I like because again personality, which is part of what motivates somebody, but not the whole part, right? Um, Personality is uh, a dimension. It's not a type, right? right? right. And so even on that category, we're going to end up with a lot of different categories. But I like the way you sorted them into six families. I actually think there's a seventh. So me personally, I didn't really resonate with any of those because I'm from Philadelphia and we are the chip on our shoulder, prove you're all wrong underdog motivation. Family, I think it's like a subfamily of Excel because it's not enough to excel. We have to excel and also prove you wrong. Uh,
1: yes. Well, <laughs> but- that that would be that would probably be overcome or make it right in motivation code language. Motiv- oh,
0: so I was going to ask you, can you tell us that, like a brief overline top line story of the families because that'll set up sure. where uh, what I want to ask you as a follow up.
1: Yeah. So so the families. The, the best way to think about families are these are groups of themes that share a bit of DNA. So we typically don't use families to describe people. So we don't say, oh, you're a learner or, oh, you're an achiever, right? Um, But there are certain themes that fall within those families. And the reason we put them in those families is because they share a bit of DNA. So um, there are some similarities in terms of how a person driven by one of these themes might experience the world. But uh, the way that that motivation plays out in a very practical way is going to be different depending on which of those motivators is a driver. Um, and so the six families, I mentioned achiever. and achiever uh, family, people tend to be ones who are very much about getting it done, moving things forward, uh progress. You know, making sure that, uh, that they're checking off lists and, you know, doing all the things they need to do in order to, to move things forward. There's the key contributor family. These are people who like to be at the center of the action. So um, they want to be in the uh, room where
0: it, it happened. I got you.
1: In the room where it happened, in the parlance yeah. of, yes, of Hamilton. So, you know, these are things like Be Central, for example, or, you know, people, people who want to be sort of key influencers in the decision making process. Um, There's the visionary family. The visionary family are people who are always thinking about the future. So think about uh, people who tend to be never really fully in the present, but they're always sort of imagining a a better possible future and trying to bring that better possible future about. Um, There are people we call the team player family. Team players tend to be people who like to be around other people or like to do work in the uh, presence of other people. Um, And again, there are several themes that kind of fall within that family. Um, there's the optimizer family. The optimizer family are people who like to fix things, they like to make sure that things are working properly. Um, and so for and again, whether that's a system or a relationship or whatever it is. Um, and then the final family is what we call the learner family. And these are people who like to ask questions, they like to learn things. Um, they're they're the ones who are always the annoying captain ask a lot in meetings. <laughs> they're the ones saying, Why are we doing this? And what's you know. Or they're the ones who like to go out and do research and then come back and share that research with the team, perhaps. Um, But one really interesting uh, thing that we've noticed is that a lot of the, you know, you talk about pick a fight, right? You talk about how to have good team conflict. One of the things we've noticed is that it, it seems to be that a lot of the conflict we experience on teams are conflicts between different core motivations at different points in the process. Of a, of a project. So for example, um, you know, at the beginning of a project, uh, somebody who's driven, let's say to explore, that's one of the learner family motivations, um, uh, is going to be asking a lot of questions. They're going to be saying, well, what if we try this? And what about, what about over here? Have we thought about this? And they asked this question. And I read this article seven years ago that kind of applies to this. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's call a meeting. The person driven to bring to completion is like, are you nuts? Let's just get this done and move on. Right? Well, they're, they're both right and they're both driven authentically by their core motivations, but those core motivations are gonna be in conflict with one another. And so a good manager who understands that can say, hey, captain, bring the completion. We're gonna need you later in the project to help us get this across the finish line. But right now we need to really let this explore person activate their explore instinct, so that they can sort of help us make sure we're asking the right questions. Later in the project, hey, Captain Explore, great to have you on the team, but you really kind of need to deactivate that motivation right now. We're going to put you on something else where you can get ahead of us a little bit maybe and start asking questions there because right now we just need to get this across the finish line. So once you become aware of not only the gifts that these motivations bring, but also the shadow side attributes of some of these motivations as a manager, you can begin to manage some of those team relationships in a more effective way as well.
0: Yeah, and so this is where I was going to ask. So like, first of all, everybody should grab the book and they should take the assessment and they should figure out which captain they are uh, are they all we we call them all derogatory
1: some of them are corporals yeah that we cool. most, mostly just because like people who are key contributors we usually call them you know generals just because oh. they, they like to be you know they want to be at the center of the action <laughs> but whereas that where is the team players we just call them privates they're fine well okay that's yeah no that's they're they're cool collaborating right yeah okay, by the way I, I say that in jest but the reality is you will find people driven by any one of these motivations at any level of an organization. So I don't mean that to imply like, oh, team players are always lower level employees. No, not, not at all. I mean, you find serve is one of our core, one of the motivational themes. And often people think serve means people who are like in executive assistant roles or people right. who are in kind of like, no, I mean, you find like CEOs of companies who like love to bring the bagels to the meeting because like they just want to serve everybody. Like they're just driven to serve, right? That's kind I of one of their core things. To
0: make better CEOs than a lot of the other families. Actually. Absolutely. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. So, all right. So here's, so here's my question. So we, we grab the book. We take the assessment, which everybody should do. And then you should buy like extra licenses for your team. And now I know oh, no. who's captain, who's corporal, what their family is, et cetera. <laughs> But I can't like I can't change their jobs, right? So I, I love that you already talked about the way to clue into when something's going on in a meeting and there's conflict. I can use that as a clue. But on an individual level, how do I help people? Either is it about rewriting the narrative of how they approach their work? Is it about what tasks I give them? I can't reassign them. Right. But, but how do I handle that? And let me let me throw you a bit of a curveball too, which is. You know, you you guys wrote a lot of this book and did a lot of this test when we were assuming everybody was working co-located. Now I think it's even more important to know the answer to people's motivation because we're asking them to be self-motivated most of the time. So how do I do that? Once I have this information, how do I use it to keep individual people on my team motivated?
1: Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, just knowing what's driving the people on your team is really important. So as you mentioned, you know, sending people through the motivation code assessment can be a great way to begin to understand at least maybe some of the patterns that are playing out uh, in your relationship with them and their relationship with their, their teammates. So that's very important. Um, and, but more importantly is that you ask people how they are activating those motivations in the course of their work. Um, So for example, I'll go back to the, to the well of collaborate. If you have somebody who's driven to collaborate and right now, I mean, we're all working from home. um, Mm -hmm. You know, it can be a really difficult thing for somebody who's driven to be around people who gets their energy from other people who loves to be in the room with other people, loves to be part of a team because we're not getting a lot of that natural energy right now. And if you have several people on your team who are driven to collaborate, you need to find ways of bringing people together that doesn't involve just maybe sitting on a Zoom call for a half hour and doing a status update, right? Like it could be letting everybody contribute to the conversation of what's going on. It could be, um, you know, allowing one person each day to talk about something they're excited about or present an idea, you know, for the team. But people need to feel engaged in. Um, in the, the life of the team right now. But, but beyond that, you know, let's let's talk about, you know, when we, because inevitably we will probably for the most part, I mean, I, I was having a conversation this morning with Scott Belsky, who's the chief product officer at Adobe. And we were talking about how, you know, really when we go back to work, a lot of the stuff we're doing right now is probably going to remain, you know, they're probably going to be like 15 minute status meetings. You know, we're just going to do it over video. Like why do we all have to get together in a room? It's a 15 minute meeting. Why do I have to walk to the other side of the campus to sit in a room with people for 15 minutes and walk all the way back? Let's just do those by video. But when we need to collaborate or do something more where it requires more emotional engagement intelligence, let's get together in the room so we can really hash it out together. Right. Like for these. So, you know, we are inevitably going to be back in, the room together at some point. And when we are, it's really important to understand what those drivers are of the people on your team so that you can ask them more meaningful questions. So again, let's say you have somebody whose motivation is be central. That means that they want to be close to the action. They want to be in the the room where it happens. They want to be around the decisions that are happening. Um, One thing you can ask as a manager is, have I invited that person into my decision-making process in the last month? You know, have I allowed them to see into my decision making process and invited them to offer input into some of the stuff that we're doing? Now, all of this is contingent upon the fact that they're actually a competent person. I'm assuming you've hired well, Um, but, you know, once you begin to understand that, you know, I can't be with a person like that as a key player on my team, I can't be a vault. I have to help invite them in. I do. That has nothing to do with their job responsibilities. It's all about what makes them feel engaged, what makes them feel like they're a part of the team, what makes them feel like I care about them. You know, if if I know what your motivation is, that's the best way for me to make you feel cared for and strategically and intentionally led as a manager. So that's a long way of saying the best way to do this is just to ask a lot of really good questions of your team. We're actually developing a tool right now, a, a coaching platform that is going to send this going to everybody goes through the assessment and then as, periodically sends them a really quick five minute pulse so that they can report how often they're activating their core motivations and then spits out specific coaching advice to managers based upon what people respond. So if somebody Reports that they haven't used one of their top motivations in their work in the last month, like that's not something they're doing. It gives very specific advice about what you should do as a manager, how you should have that conversation with them and all of that. So there's, there's more help on the way. The cavalry is on the way. But for now, I think really just making sure that you're having those intentional conversations, those coaching conversations is really important.
0: Yeah, I love that. And it starts with, you know, the last uh the last guest I had on, on David Burger's presents was Michael Bungay Sr. who's oh, yeah. all of who's who's captain question if we're gonna do this yes. thing. Um,
1: love Michael
0: all, all about what questions to ask, et cetera. So in order to know what questions to ask though, you've got to know what family they are in. In order to do that, you've got to let the motivation code assessment, ask them those questions. Uh, MotivationCode.com is the website. I know from captain Google that if you just type motivation code, though, it'll take you to that website, um, order the book, either one of the correct answer, but Todd, is there anywhere you would send anyone else?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you want to check out, you know, sort of the broader sense of my work, you can, uh, go to todhenry.com or listen to the accidental creative podcast. We've been around for 15 years, just crossed 10 million downloads. So, uh, been around for a while. So
0: yeah, no, a highly recommended show. Todd is one of the OG podcasters. His guest last week was terrible. Uh, but this uh, guest. This week uh, is, is pretty, pretty solid. Um, David Todd, was on my I, show last week, by the yeah, way. Yeah, for, the, for those of you that don't know, what <laughs> with me, um, it was pretty it was pretty awesome. But Todd, I appreciate carving out some time for me today. Again, one, one of the OG, one of the original podcasters. You launched even before I launched my first version of the show that died uh, while you remained successful. Um, so it's exciting to have you on what I hope will be maybe as long running as Axonel Creative, maybe not, but however long it goes for. We'll continue to provide insights to help you do your best work ever, and that starts by knowing how you're motivated. So motivationscode.com or check out the show notes for this episode, wherever you're watching, listening, what have you. While you're there, leave us a comment. Put what your biggest takeaway was. Maybe a like. Maybe even share it to other people and say, hey, this was my biggest takeaway. Go listen to the whole thing. Whatever you want to do to help me present to you and to everybody else some insights to help you do that great work is appreciated. Todd, again, thank you so much for being on the show and for everyone watching or listening, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, leave a rating and review because it helps share these messages with many, many. Or people. And if you really liked it and you want to go deeper, then check out the amazing resources we have for you at davidburkuscom resources. Guaranteed there's something in there that'll help you or your team do your best work ever.